So we, are, we finished last week our series in um, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and now we are in the season of Advent. We're going to take the next several weeks to go over Advent and just the preparation, preparing us for Christmas. Advent is the beginning of the season before Christmas. The name was adopted from a Latin word, adventius, meaning coming or the coming, the arrival. And then it was, it's translated in Greek, paramats, and the New Testament. Originally, it was referring to both the second coming when Christ returns and looking back at Jesus' birth. That's, that's the New Testament. And the season of Advent is, is really a Christian calendar of the anticipation, anticipation of the coming of Christ. And if you really want to dig into it, this Advent, this coming, this anticipation of coming really gives it three meaning the coming of the birth of Christ, the coming of salvation to us when we accept Christ in the present, and then again, eschatologically, the coming of Christ when he returns. All that to say is Advent is not Christmas, but it's part of the Christmas season. Just like Good Friday is not Easter, but it is part of the Easter Resurrection Sunday. And coming means it hasn't come yet. It's something that we are waiting for, and waiting is hard. Uh, I don't know too many people who are good at waiting. Um, There's all kinds of waiting. I don't have to tell you this. You're waiting on Amazon. You get upset when the two-day promise is two and a half days. You file a complaint. Waiting in line, red lights, waiting for test results. Waiting on people. Waiting can be harder than receiving the news. Simply put, waiting is hard, especially when you are waiting for a change. When you know it's coming, something's coming, and just that in-between time. And sadly, we sometimes go from one waiting to an answer to the waiting of something else, to something else. And it's hard to enjoy the moment when you're waiting. And again, Advent is not the same as Christmas. Advent is leading us to Christmas. It has been challenging not to just go right to Christmas and talk about Jesus' birth um, and the excitement that is. I'll probably slip it in because I love Christmas. And then for some of us, the jump to the arrival of Jesus, his second coming. Sometimes it's hard. We're, Lord, hurry up, get here. But just as we can't, wait for Christmas, outside of all the shopping and preparation. It's interesting when when we just can't stand the waiting, but once it gets here, we're thinking, I don't have enough time. Anyone else? Uh, I spend a lot of time preparing for a message, and every Sunday morning when I wake up, I always think, quite literally, oh no, it's Sunday. (laughs) Just like Christmas, Uh uh-oh, it's Christmas. Or oh no, fill in the blank. Not enjoying waiting And then again, his second coming when Christ returned, it's hard to wait. But just to to put that to the side, we like the parable of the ten virgins waiting on their bridegroom. The five were wise, so let us be prepared and not worry about that. But the the one verse that we read, and and to be honest, I, I was tempted to read all of Isaiah 9. Actually, my real deep down on Monday... 
of last week when I was considering this, I thought, you know what would be really neat is to read Isaiah 7, 8, 9, and 10 because it talks about the Messiah. And then I timed it. That would be about 30 minutes of reading. So <laughs> you're welcome. We read for three seconds. But really, the, the, this Isaiah 9, 6 has so much in this. I don't know the first time you remember hearing Isaiah 9, 6. Maybe it was the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Maybe it was Sunday school. Maybe it was whatever, fill in the blank. But when Isaiah wrote these words that we read this morning, these words were a hope to a nation lost in, in just about to go into captivity. They were already captive in their sin and their heart by the Assyrians. Christ's birth would not take place for another 740 years. That's a long wait. And when we re read Isaiah 9, verse 6, and we see hear the promise, what really my hope and my focus here is I'm going to take this time for the next few weeks to look at what he, Christ, will be called. Not his name, but the, the description of his character. So this morning, it's wonderful counselor. It's not a wonderful counselor. It's actually two words. The next week will be mighty God. The following week will be everlasting father. And then Hayden Key will teach on Prince of Peace. And then it will be Christmas. But during these next four weeks, as we prepare ourselves for Christmas, hopefully we will use these words to enjoy the waiting, to know that he is with us. And we will go back. What we need to first do is to go back and look at what was taking place when Isaiah wrote these words, how the Israelites were waiting for the Messiah, and many Jewish people still today are waiting for the Messiah, and how we can handle our current waiting and ultimately, again, the waiting of the return of Christ. See, what was taking place again is the Assyrians were coming in and moving in, and for reference, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, whenever we were looking at Hezekiah, if you remember his dad, Ahaz, who was an awful king, probably top three, probably the worst king ever, this is when Isaiah was writing these words. See, Ahaz had an army outside of the walls of Jerusalem, the Assyrians, preparing to take over. And, and it wouldn't be then that the Assyrians moved in. God had promised that. But he just saw this great army. And Isaiah comes in here boldly giving this prophecy. Again, Isaiah 7, 8, 9, going into 10, about how a Messiah would be born. And again, it wouldn't take place for another 740-ish years. So, which, if I was Ahaz, I would think, great, a Messiah is coming, but when? What about the issue at hand now? What are you going to do now, Lord, in this waiting? Perhaps this is one of the biggest hurdles that people face in their journey with Jesus. It is probably the top, one of the top questions that I'm asked as a pastor a lot, not just by people who don't believe in Jesus, people who do believe in Jesus. Great, I'm glad Jesus had died on the cross, but what about now? What about my trouble now? What about the problem now? What about the hardship now. Or, in another word, some people perhaps say, well, when is he coming back to fix all this? 
See, the Christmas season can be a time where people face their issues and read stories of the birth of Christ and think, well, sure, that is a nice novelty, that's a cute story, but what about the here and now? What about my health issues now? What about my problems now? What about my marriage now? What about my finances now? What about my family problems now? What about, what about, what about all these issues now? And that is exactly what King Ahaz was facing. Great, a baby will be born, so what? What about now? Yet when God gave Isaiah this prophecy, he ultimately wasn't dealing with only the situation at hand, but the root of the problem, which is sin. And I think that's what really we, it's hard to do, even if you walked with the Lord for a long time, I know that God has ultimately dealt with sin, and when he returns, everything will be perfect, but what about now? See, the root of all of our problems is the separation from God because of our sin, and all of our earthly problems ultimately stem back to that one, but if God were to only take away all of our problems that we're facing now without fixing the real problem, that problem of being separated from God, we would just create new problems. Again and again and again. Uh, Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, he wrote, and he was comparing it, one problem is like a shifting shadow. It always changes. It's always moving, and we can never pin it down. So again, one of the questions that come up, and perhaps you face them yourself, is why didn't God just simply destroy all the evil when he sent his son? Simply just wipe out all the bad. I was asked this question not too long ago, a few months ago. Why didn't he just wipe it out? Why didn't he just clean out house? Let's consider what that truly means here real quick. All of the evil and all of the bad, all in one, just swoop, knock it all out. We tend to point to the world and say, look at all this evil, look at all this sin, but without looking inward. God did do something even greater. He wiped out all the evil and sin by putting it on Christ. Because if he just came to wipe it all out, then we'd be gone. And ultimately, the prophecy of Christ's coming was to deal with our sin that separated us from God. That is the primary purpose. As uh, my pastor growing up used to say, and everything else that Jesus does is gravy on top, which is true. Yet the prophecy here also spoke of Christ's character. His names that are given are the relational names of Jesus' character. So this morning, we will look at the first two-part, this descriptor of Christ. Wonderful counselor. Not wonderful counselor, but Christ is both, both wonderful, period, counselor. This word wonder or wonderful in the original Hebrew is Pele. And really what that means is to be marvelous, to be wonderful, to be surpassing, to be extraordinary, separated by distinguished action. So wondrous, it is hard. It is so hard to understand, comprehend. So hard you can't put words on paper. That's what this wonderful name means. So when we read from Isaiah 
9 and 6, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called a marvelous, wonderful, extraordinary, distinguished, undistinguishable, wondrous, hard to explain, I can't put into words, counselor. That's who's come. And perhaps we've lowered the standard of what it means to, to use the word wonderful or wondrous. We talk about a good meal. That was wonderful. We talk about a book. How was the book? Oh, it was wonderful. You hung out with your friends last night. How was it? It was wonderful. Some ask, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. No, I'm not discrediting it. I have a very limited vocabulary. I tend to overuse wonderful and awesome, which should really only be used for God. But see, Isaiah said that when the Messiah comes, he would be beyond our words to describe him. So the first thing that I was considering the, uh, as I was preparing for Advent, this coming, this eager anticipation was, when was the last time that I was so in awe of God? When was the last time that I was speechless at what Christ had done for me? That word Pele again suggests is so wonderfully hard to explain, so hard, so so unimaginable that I couldn't put into words the wonder of God. And perhaps some of you are like me and you run your mouth a lot, so you feel like you have to fill in the silence a little bit. You know, in life group, you ask a question. If someone doesn't answer within a second or two, I feel like I need to talk. And for some of you, you can sit in silence for a long time and ponder and consider. But regardless of where you sit, somewhere in the middle, when was the last time that you found yourself face-to-face -face with Christ, perhaps in a devotion, listening to a song, singing songs, on a walk, on a hike, whatever it was, where you were just in awe of the wonder of Christ. This coming of Christ, this eager anticipation. When was the last time that you sat there in wonder? And as I was considering this, I don't know if I just sat there and think of the wonder of God. So then, me being me, I, I tried to sit there in silence and just think, what is it that is so wonderful about Christ? Just started listing out things, thinking of things. And then I was embarrassed because I came up with a short list that I was so proud of that I thought was longer. And I thought, this doesn't even begin to describe who Christ is. And that's the point. That's the wonder of Christ. See, the first time that this word Pele, this wondrous word, is used in the Bible is all the way back in Genesis. If you remember back in Genesis, when God tells Abraham and Sarah, remember them, when they were going to have children, Sarah is 90 years old and Abraham is 99, and there's this conversation that's taking place. And if you remember, Sarah was in the other side of the tent, if you will, listening to this. And God tells Abraham, you are going to have a baby. And then in the other room, Sarah starts laughing. You remember that? Genesis 18, 13 through 14. Let's just pick it up there. Genesis 18, verse 13 says, Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she... Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? 
I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. It's that word Pele. Is anything too wonderful for me? And actually, if you really wanted to break it down, if you want to read it in the original text, is anything so wonderful, too wonderful, too hard for the Lord is what he says. And really, if you want to go even further, he's saying, is anything that I've done in the past been too hard to describe of the wondrous things that I'm going to do now? You see that? Is it so hard to describe that you just don't believe it? Essentially, are you, God's saying, are you putting me into a box? Are you limiting me because you can't see a way out? This is the baby that is to come. So you may not understand how it is possible now, God goes on to say, but you might not even be able to put it into words, what is taking place. But if you are not able to articulate what is taking it place, what God's promise means, what he's saying is, I am so wonderful, you don't have to know. And to our response, our response would be, but I really want to know. For me, having a cell phone has been a, a great gift in many ways because I have Safari so quickly at my fingertips. As a boy growing up, if I didn't know something, I had to go the old-fashioned way and look through an encyclopedia. Did anyone ever buy their encyclopedias at the grocery store? No? Yes, someone did. All right, I'm not the only weirdo. Um, no offense, Gordon. But... Um, <clears throat> but I was so excited, but it took so long, and, and I'm such an awful speller, I didn't even know how to spell words, but whatever, I needed a dictionary and encyclopedia altogether. But now, if I don't know something, I have to look it up immediately. If someone asks me a question, I don't know, let me look it up right away. And what, the, what this means is, what this is saying is, you don't have to know, you won't know, you have to believe and trust. In this waiting, waiting is hard, but the waiting will be okay. Again, Isaiah is telling this to the king who sees an army outside about to invade. And deep down inside, Ahaz knows that he has been an awful king. Just to refresh our memory, he's the one, not Hezekiah. Hezekiah grows up and becomes a great king. But he burns Hezekiah's older brother to a pagan god. He has sold out all of the gold and all of the money out of the temple to pay this very army that's coming in to attack him. He is so deep in his sin, he does not know a way out. And Isaiah says, don't worry, a baby, a child will be born. But again, when was the last time you looked towards God and couldn't speak? Not because you were lost in your circumstances, but because you were in the presence of the Lord. And being in the presence of the Lord, you, you, you recognize, you saw that despite your circumstances, Christ is with you. So how is he with us in our present? We are looking back to a time, we have the great privilege of seeing the Messiah born, and we get to see this history. But what about the right now? 
What wondrous things do you see God doing in your current circumstances? And again, if you're thinking out how to describe him, who he is, um, while I was doing this, I was considering the names of God the Father that has been called, that's been stated in the Old Testament. And I just thought that I would bring a list here. This isn't the entire list. Here's a list. I just wanted to go through just quickly some of the names of God in the present right now of who he is. The Lord God Almighty, Most High God, Lord and Master, Lord Jehovah, the Lord my banner, the Lord my shepherd, the Lord that heals, And perhaps one of my favorites currently right now is Jehovah Shammah, which means the Lord is there. You ever ask yourself, where's the Lord? He's there. Right there. Well, where's there? He's with you presently. Or the Lord, our righteousness, the Lord who sanctifies us, the everlasting God, simply God, Elohim. The jealous God, he is jealous for us. The Lord will provide. The Lord is peace. The Lord of hosts. These are some of the names. If, if you're interested, I can send you a study on each name. I did not write it, I stole it, but it's a very good study. So if you're interested, just let me know and I'd be happy to do that. So when... when What I've realized and I'm currently still learning is when I don't have words to explain or describe what the Lord is doing, it's okay. Second, look to his character and his name. And third, read what the Bible says, who he is. Because in his character, if you notice, those are the things that the Lord is currently doing in our midst. So not only is he wonderful, so hard to describe, but he's also a counselor. And that word means counselor is advisor. The, the Hebrew word is yao itz, which also means consultant, the giver of counsel, um, the counsel of purpose, the device, the plan specifically, the instructor or guider of, from a position of authority. This was the term that usually was given to kings. Each king that came along would have somewhere along the line of counselor. He's the one who made a decision. But ultimately, when Isaiah is telling the king who's supposed to know to be the counsel, he is saying this wondrous, amazing, indescribable person is coming from a position of authority to give you counsel. Now remember, the Jewish people had always wanted a leader king with authority to come in. And I think deep down inside we want that too. But a counselor is someone to guide us, to reassure us. I'm not discrediting going to counseling, to biblical counseling. Renew, we we help people go to counseling. We support that. Um, If you want to go to counseling, talk to me. Um, A good biblical counselor points you to Christ. But before even going to counseling to a person, I would suggest and recommend going to Christ first through prayer and his word. He is faithful. 
But again, when we go to a counselor, when people go to a counselor, ultimately what we're hoping for is that someone will point out some things that we need to work on. A good counselor will point out sin, a path to Christ, or an encouragement, and there's various different things that a counselor does. I would suggest within the last 60 years or so, we've gone from one extreme to the next. Roughly 60 years years ago, if someone went to a counseling, no one knew about it. It was taboo. And then we've gotten to a place uh, roughly 30 years ago where it was acceptable, it was okay. And now I would suggest we've gone to the other extreme where we have a barber and a counselor and a CrossFit coach. You know what I mean? It's just thrown. I don't have a CrossFit coach, obviously. But you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? That this, this shift is uh, of this, oh, yeah, everyone needs one. Ultimately, ultimately, what, what, what the recognition is, what Ahaz needed to recognize then, this wonderful counselor is someone who already knows you. Already way in advance as you are committing this, already knows it. He's, nothing is hidden. This counselor, this ultimate counselor in God, he, he's with you to guide you because he has a plan for your life. That's why one of the most encouraging, I think one of the most encouraging scripture of all time, that's probably a hyperbole, but at least it is for me tonight, this morning, I mean, is Hebrews four fifteen and 16, and I've read this a few times to you. This high priest of ours, Jesus, understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There will be there, we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You you see this, this high priest of ours, this counselor of ours, he understands our weakness. I think some of the times the reasons why we don't come to Christ in our waiting and in in our anxiousness is because we are afraid of our weakness. We're embarrassed by it. Yet, we have this high priest in Christ. He has faced all the same testing that we do, and yet he did not sin. That's why we are so comforted when we go through something we tend to look for people who, has gone, who have gone before us, who's experienced it, because we want to see if we can make it, because they have made it. And yet Christ has experienced all the same testing, and yet he did not sin. So therefore, so, verse 16, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There will, we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Simply coming to towards him and resting in that presence. Also, Psalm 32, 8 through 11, the same word, Yotas, the counselor. This is, this is a, one of the many places that we've seen it. It's 72 times in the Bible, if you're keeping track, that we see this word counselor. Psalm 32, picking up at verse 8, says, The Lord says, I will guide you, or I will be your counselor along the best path for your life. I will advise you, I will be your counselor again, and watch over you. Do not be like the senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. 
Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. You, you notice that going back to verse 8. The Lord says, I will, I will guide you. I will be your counselor along the best path for your life. The best one. Sometimes when it gets a little rocky, we think, I'm going to take the shortcut. The shortcut, at least for me, and I know for you, always gets me in trouble. You know, Thanksgiving just, just has come. Anyone want to rush cooking that turkey? Put it in the microwave and eat it? No. Why would you? If you did, I'm sorry. But why? But we want it instantly. But he knows the best path. And then he goes on and says in verse 8, I will advise you. That means I'm going to continue to be your counselor and watch over you. And verse 9 is the key to him being a counselor. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Essentially saying, don't make it so difficult that all of the consequences of your sin need to fall down on you in order for you to listen. Simply obey. Simply follow. And then if you drop down to verse 11, so rejoice in the Lord and be glad all who obey him. There is joy, therefore we can rejoice when we follow this wonderful counselor. See, Christ's position as our wonderful counselor means we can trust him to listen to our problems and guide us in the right direction. That's from Proverbs 3, 6. And we can be sure he is listening because he told us to pray to him about our worries. We see that in Philippians 4, 6, James 1, 5. And we can be certain he has our best interests at heart because he loves us. That's 1 John 4, 19. And his love is so wide and so deep and wonderful that we cannot fully understand it. He is someone we can go to who would give us good advice. However true this may be, this, this word, this understanding is the full scope of who Jesus Christ is. When Isaiah speaks of something being wonderful, it's not as if we understand it now, but more so as something that is so full of wonder, it is so incomprehensible and unfathomable. The counsel that Christ brings defies our expectation of mankind. <coughs> And he exceeds our, our understanding that we want to put him in a box for, for us to bring down God to our level when all Christ has done is simply come to us to save us. And Christ goes beyond merely just being a counselor to us and understanding that term of counseling. He gives us counseling ultimately the plan of salvation because why in the world would Jesus come to die for us? That makes absolutely no sense. It is the most wondrous thing that he would do. And Jesus, our wonderful counselor, doesn't want to simply change your life without changing your heart. He doesn't want to simply get you out of your problem now. He wants your heart to be changed toward him. If all God, if all Jesus did was simply take you out of your situation, again, we would be in another situation and then in, in another situation. When Isaiah prophesied to King Ahaz of the birth of Christ, it also meant that the Messiah would also come again. 
Again, the Advent means the coming of the Messiah, the future coming of Christ again. And not only is Christ with us now, his spirit is with us. And we are now waiting for this wonderful counselor to return to experience this fullness of the world being redeemed. I appreciated what J.D. Greer said to a class of pastors who were just about to graduate with their degree and go on to ordination. He said, maybe the most important thing to notice about the name that Isaiah uses is wonderful to describe Jesus. Jesus is not this the solution he gives to our problems. What is the most wonderful thing about Christ is the way he fixes our problems, is not the way he fixes our problems, but his presence with us in those problems. Sometimes you see the way that God helps us in our problems is simply by allowing us to see how wonderful he is. This Advent season is the season of the coming of birth of our Christ, our Savior. And again, but you may be thinking, yeah, that's great, but waiting is still hard. And it is, going from one waiting to the next. But perhaps this Advent season, as we considered this wonderful counselor, is understanding that the waiting is hard, but we need to remember while we wait for the coming of our Savior, we do not wait alone. We are waiting for this wonderful counselor who is with us. And sometimes, and perhaps as we consider this, it's perhaps what it means and why it's so important for us also to receive communion. This morning we we will receive communion, but part of communion is not to be saved or to be saved again or any of the heresy that, that can come with that. It's simply to remember what Christ has done on the cross. And again, remembering that he is the high priest who experienced all of what we've experienced. Perhaps the most difficult and hardest thing to wait on we have seen in the scripture is seeing Christ wait as he's on the cross for his death. But yet remembering he has come to save us all, not simply from our circumstances, but to save us from the separation of God because of our sin. That's why I think Isaiah describes him at very first as a wonderful counselor before he's even called a mighty God. So this morning we will receive communion. You are invited to receive communion with us if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. We're going to sing a couple more songs here. And as you do it, I just... Perhaps in your mind as we are singing these songs to the Lord, uh, just ask him to help you in your waiting. Ask him to remind you that he is with you in the waiting. Ask him to reveal to you why, what is it that is causing any anxiousness or anything. And he is faithful to guide us because he has a plan. Because he is wonderful. Let's pray. Lord, you are wonderful. Lord, as we just consider all that you have done for us, 
as we've seen the people who have gone before us who were waiting for your birth. Wait so well, Lord. And yet here we are, we are with your spirit and as we wait for your coming, as we wait to celebrate your birth, will you help us wait well? Will you help us not try to rush ahead? But in our waiting, recognize that even if you do not uh, save us from the immediate problem that you are carrying us, that you are with us, that ultimately your purpose is to return us back to the Father. Lord, and as we've considered some of the names of the Father, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord, you are there in our waiting. It's so easy for us to get caught up, especially in the holiday season of what we must do for other people and and the shopping and everything else. But let us rest in you knowing that you are so wonderful. And also let us boldly come to your throne room because you are a gracious God. Thank you for your mercy. So Lord, as we sing songs to you, Lord, will you just speak to us? Let us just sit in your presence and be in awe. Let's not rush ahead to the next thing. Lord, and also during this Advent season, will you help us um, not be too hasty to use the word wonderful? You are indescribable and you are loving. So Lord, as you guide, will you Help us follow. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.